So thank you for joining us today for this webinar about moving from pressure to progress and redefining performance in 2023. To set a bit of context, obviously the world is changing really fast at the moment and we need to help people build the right skills and the right knowledge at the same pace. At the same time, we need to strike the balance with well-being and preventing our employees from feeling overwhelmed. And ultimately, we need to do all of that while making sure that our efforts are geared towards performance and impact. And hopefully today's session is all about giving you advice and lessons from doing this in practice and also taking your questions. So please do use the chat and Q&A functions throughout this webinar. Before we get into that, I'm joined by HowNow CEO and co-founder Nelson Sivalingham and Lattice's head of sales, John Shimuni. I would love you both to tell us a bit about who you are, a uh, bit of background on what your companies are, uh, any useful context you wanted to share before we get into the conversation. So Nelson, did you want to kick us off? Yeah, sure. Like, like you mentioned, Gary, uh, I'm one of the founders at HowNow. We essentially help companies um, identify what their skills gaps are. So it's a measure, find those gaps and then connect um, people with relevant learning to close those gaps and build the skills they need to grow in their career and perform better. Um, I'm also the author of Learning at Speed, which essentially is, is a practical playbook on how companies can um, build the capability to learn faster, um, how, that, how they can better support the employees to build the skills they need in the shortest time. Perfect. And John, how about yourself? I caught you at the wrong moment there. I just saw you taking a drink. But tell yeah, us a no, bit about really. who you are. Uh, <laughs> first of all, hi, Gary, and hi, Nelson, uh, and hi to all the attendees. I'm joining for uh, Dublin, uh, by the way. Um, so, yeah, j just before before I introduce myself and, and Latish, just wanted to say a big thank you to Jessica and Frankie for the organization of this event and all the team at Latis and Ona. So, I'm John Chemony. I lead the sales team uh, at Latis for EMEA and APAC. So, if you don't know Latis, um, it's a people management platform. And we also announced last week uh, the launch of our own HRIS. So, in Europe, we work with companies like Monzo, Alan, or Livestorm. I'm very excited uh, because it's my first event with Lattice. I joined two months ago, so super excited to be here today. And also very uh, delighted to do that with, with Nelson. We had some super good prep call together. So it will be a super interesting webinar. Awesome. Yeah, totally agree, John. A lot of great prep and um, yeah, massive thank you to the, the wider team. So to get into our first question, really, we're looking at dating back towards the pandemic organizations struggling with balancing burnout, employee maintenance, uh, sorry, employee well-being, maintaining performance, all the while that's happening in a changing economy, a fast-growing world. So I'd love to set a bit of context around that shift. And John, maybe you can kick us off. Yeah, um, yeah, indeed. Uh, being a HR leader or business leader over the, you know, the four past years, it has been really tough when you think about it. You have to be agile and also flexible in order to switch gear uh, between growth and economic downturn. So let's double click, double click on it. Spring 2020, we all remember COVID time, a lot of uncertainty, uh, furlough, reduction in force, and also adapting to remote work. Uh, suddenly we all had to uh, reinvent the way we were working, uh, not even mentioning if that's your case, working with kids around. It was, it was something crazy. Late 20, mid 22. 
we had two different trends. We had the great resignation and in tech, uh, we had the rapid talent acquisition where we were recruiting a lot. I was pers personally interviewing uh, four candidates each day with my previous company. Also, I had to onboard them, but at the same time, I had to develop my team. So it was really intense. Late 22, the macroeconomic downturn, the layoff and also aggressive cost efficiencies. We hold on that today, we have to do more with less. And today, um, what we see now is interesting. Um, look at last week. Last week, we, we have seen successful um, IPO of Instacart or Clavio. And I don't know if uh, we can talk about a bounce back, but for sure, um, there is definitely light at the end of the tunnel. And the thing that we see at Lattice and when I discuss with, with all of our customers is that many companies understand that investing today not in the future, but today in their people and building a high performance culture will be a competitive advantage in this new world. No, I totally agree. I saw a lot of that actually. I worked in travel previously and, and companies that suspended everything, employee development, marketing during the crisis were the slowest ones to emerge, whereas the people that have invested in their people, their spend during the downturn were the ones that saw um, fast growth coming out of it. Nelson, from your perspective, how did you see this big shift from you know coming out of the pandemic, trying to deal with the burnout, the well-being, and also drive performance at the same time? Yeah, I thought what was interesting about what John was saying is you know just it kind of sums up how fast the world is changing. Because back in the day, you know we would uh, group together four to five years as eras and periods, right? Whereas with what John just said, we were grouping together months. You know, we had the Great Resignation, we had the downturn, and all of these are. Uh, a month it just goes to show how quickly and so much happens within the span of a year and um, but i think to kind of add to what john was saying i think the other major shift we've seen is a skill shortage right and i think post pandemic um there was discussions whether people thought the skill shortage was was a little blip right it was a knee jerk reaction to the pandemic but now it's been long enough for us to know actually we have a sustained skills shortage and there's an incredible stat that came out um, at the first half of this year where from the labor market research that there are six um open job roles for every qualified person who could do that job now what that tells you is there's a lot of job opportunity for the people who have the right skills now when you look at another stat which tells you over 70 percent of companies lost their talent due to a lack of growth opportunity. Now let's combine both of those stats. What that tells us is people are leaving their companies when they don't feel supported in their growth and they're confidently leaving because there's so much opportunity out there. They'll carry on walking until they find the right company that's going to support their growth. Now, what does that mean for an organization? It means if you're not supporting your talent growth, you're going to end up in a situation where you don't have the enough uh, sufficient skills to be able to get work done in your organization and that's what we're seeing in many organizations and the reason for burnout is again going back to what john said around doing more with less we're essentially it's not even doing more even to get the same amount of work done we don't have the right skills in the business because we've lost those skills either through redundancies and layoffs but also because they're left to find better opportunities elsewhere um, and so it's a real concern for companies to, to be able to deliver, you know, meet their customer expectations and get work done. And they're struggling to find the skills. Um, and, and I think that leads to 
burnout and performance challenges um, and, and kind of all of that stems from that skills shortage. And thinking about the theme of the session, Nelson, I mean, if we're gearing everything towards performance and it's far harder to close our skills gaps by hiring, that also facilitates a mindset shift around how do we build the skills that we need, not just it becomes unsustainable when candidates have so much choice to only fill your roles and your skills gaps by hiring, doesn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, I think the days of, you know, buy and borrow um, as the kind of primary strategy for, for talent is, is just not sustainable, right? Especially at the speed of change that we're seeing, we need to be able to build the capability to build um, talent internally. John, any, th any thoughts on what Nelson shared there before we move into the next sort of question? Or yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, today, I think that the, the employees, uh, it's not just a job that they want they want to progress and they want also to have a clear plan about uh you know how they can increase their skills and so, actually it's super interesting what nelson mentioned because one of the questions i asked during my interviews is if you get this role what are the skills that you want to uh to improve um it's super interesting also to have you know to understand that no it's, it's um yeah it's very interesting i read some research last week and it was about what had become more important to employees versus last year and career goals and purpose wasn't the number one thing. It was still like paying benefits, but the thing that had seen the most growth was career goals and purpose because it had moved from about 15 percentage points. It had increased from about 20% to 35% of people saying that they um, were focused on their career goals and their purpose. So it's interesting to hear that that's being asked in interview processes that you've gone through as well. Um, I will definitely share that research um, in the chat shortly so people can check it out. It's nice as well, you both mentioned about personal experiences throughout the intro and also the answers to the question there. And, you know, navigating all of this and redefining what high performance looks like in your workforce, while all of this stuff happening around you is a pretty complex journey and it's not something that's necessarily always easy to manage. So I'd love to hear any of your personal experiences and stories of the things that have influenced how you approach this balance between growth well-being, performance, all happening at once. Um, Nelson, maybe kick us off and then we'll go to John. Yeah, I, I think I want to start it off by first saying this is probably one of the hardest periods to be able to manage and lead a team and you know work in HR and L&D within organisations. So I, I want to make sure no one feels bad uh, about what they're doing and what they're not doing because we've got a lot of very, I mean, we've got... Uh, Brexit, the war, we've got cost of living crisis, down, you know, there's so many moving parts and we're all just trying to figure it out. And, and I think we've also gone on that journey at hand now. And so, you know, to, to give a few examples of challenges we saw and how we tackled it, one of the first ones was we, we got the feedback that people didn't have the clarity around um their goals and what they needed to achieve and how that would contribute to the big picture. Um, and so one of the things we really kind of step back is how do we make sure as a growing organization that everyone has the clarity around those expectations? And, and that's really, we started to look at um, the people managers as a key role in doing two things. The first thing, setting the bar, right? That's the first thing the manager needs to do is set the bar clearly. And then the second thing they need to do is create the conditions for team members to jump the bar, right? And I think it was creating that framework and clarity on how managers can 
do those two things effectively and make sure every individual in the organization knew what metric they were trying to move and why that contributed to the big picture of where the organization was um, trying to go. And that really helps people feel more fulfilled in the work they were trying to do. Um, and it really helped people feel engaged, which contributes to, to better improved performance. So that was one of the things um, that we kind of worked on to, to tackle that. The other thing around kind of burnout was finding creative ways to support and enable better balance and uh, through flexibility. And so a couple of things we did there was a hybrid work policy um, that gives people the flexibility um, with kind of select days where we would all be in the office together and typically planning meetings around that time. Um, but another experiment that we run was called Wind Down Fridays. And so we ran this for a couple of months where essentially after 2 p.m. in an afternoon, and um, that time was yours, right? You could use it as a no meeting time. You could use it to yeah, go to the gym, spend time with your family. It's completely up to you how you wanted to use that time. Um, at the end of the experiment, we did a survey to find out um, you know, whether people wanted to keep that time and how they were using it. And what was really interesting was a lot of people was, were using it as uninterrupted time to get work done, wrap up the week, and so they didn't have to do stuff on a Sunday before the week kicked off, right? And so it gave them better control over their time and a better balance. And so Wind Down Fridays now at How Now is a permanent, um, permanent thing that we have. And one other kind of tactical thing that I'd include is a culture of recognition. Again, the worst feeling is when you feel like you're overworking and no one recognizes the great work you're doing it is one of the worst feelings. Um, and so what we've managed to do at How Now is essentially create a culture of recognition that has a life of its own. And that's as simple as having a Slack channel called How Now Love. And it's the most active Slack channel we have where every day, um, and this isn't managers who are posting on this um, channel, it's every individual um, spotlighting the great work that one of their peers and colleagues are doing so the rest of the organization is able to see the great work and, and recognize it. Um, and one last one I'd leave with is, is kind of knowledge share. Again, going back to spotlighting your internal experts, making sure people have the knowledge they need to get their work done without having to feel like they need to tap on someone's shoulder or wait around to hear back from a manager. This is where at How Now we use How Now um, as really our kind of company brain to make sure there's a place where people can go to find the right knowledge to, to get work done. So these are a few things that, you know, on our journey we've done how now to really kind of support both well-being and performance yeah yeah i love that you mentioned that a few things you mentioned there nelson have been sort of followed up in the chat but um anna sharing like you said about surveys that they've asked people what they want internally and they're sharing that they want stability essentially and understanding what that means for the people in the company so you can deliver it uh, deliver it lynn also mentioning they're communicating that it has to be a two-way conversation so employees have some ownership but there's support there um, management development program being run by Jana in the chat there. So uh, that influence in appraisal process. So it's really nice to hear and continue sharing your sort of internal projects you're running, the initiatives you're launching in the chat, because it's really nice to sort of see all of that coming in. John, from your perspective, what are some of the stories and the tactics that you can share with people yeah. that, that you've seen work? So 
first of all, super aligned with, with Nelson, uh, and I like the idea about the, the Slack channel and, and, and the rest. Um, so for me, you know, I lead a, I lead a sales team. And when I joined Lattice, after a few weeks, I identify what was working well, what we could improve. And overall, my team was performing really well, but they were totally overwhelmed. They were constantly back to back and they were starting to experience the, the lack of purpose that Nelson mentioned. And my first impressions were confirmed with the Lattice survey, with Lattice we can send survey. And when I received it a few weeks later, yes, we were definitely close to, to the burnout. So in terms of um, high performance culture, I did focus on four areas. The first one was to define the goals and set clear expectation. It seems to be basic, but it's so important. So what I did is I organized a kickoff meeting at the office with the people going to the office, not something you know behind the screen. Uh, I shared my vision for the team and also I set clear expectation in terms of metrics and pacing. Also, I also changed the frequency of the meetings and introduced more uh, group time to encourage collaboration. Um, and you'll be surprised, but it helps a lot. Second thing I did was to celebrate the success. We're all working really hard, but we don't really take time to celebrate the success. So of course I do that on team meetings, I do that on Slack. But also during my uh, kickoff that I just mentioned, I ordered trophies on Amazon. So really, you know, it's not expensive. And I bought for each winners uh, a bottle of wine. I'm French, so the wine is important. To celebrate our great results, it was really fun. It's also important to have some fun. The feedback. Feedback also, it's my third point, super important. Um, at Lattice, we had a super great culture of feedback that I love. Um, and the thing is not just sharing feedback because it's easy, but sharing some actionable feedback. So I love that. And just to give you one example of what I do with my team, I share something back to Lattice, but also when I'm on a call, I'm not really a gong person to listen to hours of calls every day, but I like to join the calls and to share feedback immediately and actionable feedback. So it helps a lot for them to, to develop. And last thing about development, and this is what also Nelson mentioned, it's super important to show them how they can grow into their career. So I have a monthly meeting with them where we discuss about career and where we discuss about what they need in terms of skill to go to the next step. So it helps a lot. It's on the uh, performance part. Then in terms of well-being, because as I said, it's super important for, for us. Um, just one number that I wanted to, to share. Um, I, I found this number working on, on this webinar. Employees who feel their employer cares about their overall well-being are 71% less likely to experience burnout. So it's so important. We have at Lattice recharge days, so five or six days per year where you can do whatever you want and just relax. So it's super important. Of course, we have also a flexible PTO policy, so you don't have to think too much uh, when you want to submit PTO or just, just a day off. And the last thing also is, and I said that a little bit, it's, it's important to bring back the fun. It was tough the past few months, years. So bringing back the fun. So when I joined the team, I introduced a WhatsApp group. And the role of this group was super simple. If you talk about business, if you talk about, you know, Lattice, business opportunities, blah, 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 we will ban you. So it's all about uh, babies, poopies, parties, whatever you want, but not business. And I was really surprised because at the beginning I was, okay, I will be alone on this group and just sharing, but actually they are super active on it, sometimes maybe too active, but it's, it's really funny. And it's important also to have, you know, this kind of moments with the team. What I really like about all of those things you shared is it, there's a real feeling that they're about changing the culture over time. So I often feel like small actions we do over time are what create that better uh, environment for performance. So like you said, are we doing our meeting culture for the sake of it? Or is it something that works for all of the team and ensures they get the best out of their time 
any other ideas you shared, like gamifying it in a way or creating this non-work channel also feels really on brand and helping with the culture. And I think maybe that gets overlooked as part of the performance, isn't it? Creating the wider, more holistic environment for people to flourish, to perform, to build the right skills and to share knowledge with each other as well. So, um, yeah, any final thoughts on that, um, Nelson, before we move on to the next question? Yeah, I thought Anna in the chat mentioned, you know, Austin big question of why why are we overworking i think it's a great question and one of the things you kind of alluded to around are we rewarding overtime i think it is somewhat true in many organizations that they've still got this hangover of um output you know how many hours are you doing and um, and i think typically companies do that when they don't have clarity around deliverables and the outcome Right, because if you had clarity around what good looks like and it's mutually been agreed, and then really does it matter whether someone took three hours or six hours to do it? It doesn't matter, right? Because you've got the outcome you needed. And long as that outcome is clearly aligned to the outcome you're trying to drive as an organization, we should all be moving forward, regardless of how many hours someone um, spent. And I think it's changing um, what we're looking at there right gone are the days where we shouldn't be proud that someone in our team is sending us messages out of hours you know that's not a badge of honor to say i look at this person working so hard actually the question we should be asking is have you got too much on your plate you know are you working as efficiently and as effectively as possible is this a problem with the amount of work you have to do and the outcome you're trying to drive or is this a problem with the way you're working and how can i better support you with the skills and knowledge that you need to do that and so I do think it's it's shifting our focus. And this is one thing you know, I'd, I'd like to think quite early on in how now we did was define everyone's job by deliverables rather than time spent working. And, and also we have a performance-based bonus for every single team in the organization. And often you only tend to find this with um, commercial teams and sales teams, you know, commissions and bonuses. But we thought it was important that everyone had their uh, metrics they were trying to move and everyone should get rewarded based on how effective they were at moving that metric. And so it goes back to building that kind of outcome-focused culture uh, in the organization. Yeah. Um, and I mentioned puppy yoga in the chat. Um, that's actually our next social, funny enough, and I've never been more gutted to miss it because that's when I'm on holiday. So um, hopefully I'll have to do it again. Yeah, no, I totally agree, Nelson. And I guess you covered quite a few of these bits in that but the next question was around how what advice you would give to organizations to ensure that they support employees in achieving their goals so you mentioned a few already like understanding personal aspirations having clarity around what to do but i guess also um aligning to the organizational objectives but are there any other things you'd advise people to in that sort of process of supporting employees to achieve their goals and gear towards the company goals at the same time yeah i think the first thing is recognizing no one's got time for learning for the sake of learning, right? If, if you're pushing out some training and saying, I think you need to do this, but the person doesn't understand what's in it for them, how it's going to help them, no one's got time to do that anymore. So to make learning and development count in your organization, you need to make sure um, you're communicating clearly what's in it for them, right? So let's talk about what's in it for them. You know, what, why are people going to engage in learning? It's typically because they either want to perform better at their job and consequently they want to grow in their career. So let's work backwards. What do they need to be able to grow uh, in their career? Well, they need the relevant skills to grow in their career. 
What do they need to build those skills? They need to engage in relevant learning. That's where the journey starts. It starts with learning something relevant that helps you build the skills you need to progress in your career. And so what we'd recommend to organizations is to take a more skills first approach to how you think about learning and development, right? What skills does this individual need is the first question we need to answer. And so you, it depends where you are in your journey, but if you're not measuring skills and you don't know what skills each individual in your business should have, I'd recommend that's the first place to start. Let's work out what skills should this person have? The second question we need to be able to answer is to what level of proficiency or mastery does this person have this skill? And this could be as simple as a 360 feedback that goes a self-assessment. I think I'm a three out of five. My manager thinks I'm a two out of five. My colleague thinks I'm a four out of five. Let's work out the average. That gives you an idea of where their, their gaps are as an individual. Then it's to start to support people by connecting them with the right relevant learning to close those gaps. That could be coaching, mentoring, right? That could be a course. It might just be a blog and a podcast, right? It, and, but it's really take, starting it from a skills first perspective. So you're clearly aligned that you're helping this individual build the skills they need um, to perform better and grow in their career. And so that's why I'd say to, to kind of really make learning count Think about it from a jobs-to-be-done perspective, you know, because it's in essence, learning is the product that the employee is hiring to perform and grow in their career. That's the job to be done. And to really ask the question of, is the learning you're offering helping them get that job done? Perfect. John, any thoughts from you on that? Before no, I totally on? love that. Um, indeed, it's a job to be done. Actually, Nelson, a quick follow-up question before we move on from that point, but measuring skills, any advice on how you measure that skills, uh, maybe on a scale or, or sort of a tangible advice there? Yeah, sure. So there's two parts to that, like I kind of alluded to. The first part is um, the mapping, right? It's knowing what skills should someone who's doing this job well have. Now, you know, is the manual way of doing it? absolutely sit down with every manager, spend some time trying to figure out the skills. Obviously, very long and cumbersome process and someone needs to take responsibility for keeping this document up to date over a period of time. Uh, alternatively, you can use a tool like um, HowNow where we use AI to collect and analyze real-time job market data and map the relevant skills back to each job role. So there are ways of doing that. That's the first part is the mapping. The second part, like I meant, is the measurement. Now, the measurement literally it needs to be deliberately light touch because there's no point having a hundred question assessment and um, because the chances are people are not going to update that on a regular basis and if they're not updating it on a regular basis it's pointless because you don't know whether those skills are being developed over a period of time and that's why we would recommend a real light touch way like i mentioned using um, a five-point scale you know the Likert scale which scientifically has been proven to be effective in cases of 360 measurement, um, and then having a 360 feedback loop. And the reason why we recommend a 360 feedback is because the best people to evidence whether you're applying your skills within a work context are the people you work with, right? Your colleagues and your manager. And that's why the 360 feedback is an effective way of getting evidence to kind of measure the skills that you have and don't have um, as an individual. Yeah, perfect. Thank you, Nelson. Just a reminder to people, keep dropping your questions in the chat. There's another one on skills that I've bookmarked to come back to at the end um, because we need to move on slightly. 
But that leads us to something we spoke about earlier, clarity around expectations, the goals, the outcomes. And John, you've actually recently done some research on this at Lattice. So we're going to share some slides um, and you can talk us through the findings from that research. But while I share the screen, maybe just give us a bit of context about the research overall. Yeah, so we asked um, 1,000 UK employees uh, about, uh, you know, their understanding about uh, employee expectation when assessing their performance. And it was really um, surprising or not surprising, I don't know, but you, you will see the numbers are a bit crazy. So the, the thing is um, only 20% of the employees said they always understand uh, the expectations. 20%. And 40% say they only sometimes or rarely understand the expectation. So it's 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 a bit crazy. So it means that 60% of the employees in the UK, they don't really understand the expectations. And this lack of clarity uh, has major implications, as, as you can imagine, for the business success, number one, of course, but also for the job satisfaction, the sense of belonging, uh, the stress level. If you don't understand you know, what are the expectations can be super stressful and the well-being. So um, as employers, we clearly need to do uh, a better job uh, at setting clear performance expectation for, for people. It was the first um, thing that we, we, we discovered with this um, survey. Another interesting insight that came from uh, the research was the uh, availability of uh, support and core people programs. And starting on super positive note, uh, I think it was great to see that uh, over 40% of employees have access to mental health and, and wellness support, which is which is good. Maybe not enough, but it's, it's already good. Uh, however, only one in three have regular one-to-ones, surprised by this number myself, with their managers. And less than one in four say they have clear performance expectation and metrics for the individual role. So as you can imagine, um, yeah, we, we still have a lot to, to do uh, if, if you want to offer a great uh, workplace for, for the employees. And finally, uh, we also ask, you know, uh, employees what they need to perform at their best. And we identify five things. And in order of priority, the number one, it's the trust. Number one uh, factor for them. So being micromanaged or constantly monitored can increase the stress because that can decrease the job satisfaction. So the trust is super important creating a super uh, great environment for them. Second thing is flexible work. And I know that for some companies, maybe that's the case of some attendees here, when uh, you know you have a long tradition of in-person work, it can be difficult, but offering flexible work, something that employees say, yeah, it will help me to do my uh, job better. The third thing was clear responsibilities. So this is what we discussed just before. Employees want to know what they should be doing and why, and the why is super important. They want to understand. Um, the, also what we notice is regular praise and recognition. So it seems to be very basic, but we we all love a bit of praise, right? And without it, it can be uh, sometimes difficult to stay motivated in the current environment. And the last thing, super important also is to provide and to offer a positive and inclusive company culture. Why? Because it helps to attract top talents and also it boosts engagement, which helps drive performance. Perfect. Nelson, I know this really aligns with a lot of what you already shared, but any thoughts on this before we move on? Yeah, I, 
was actually quite surprised by some of the numbers on the on the previous like the the lack of one to ones um for, for for example but on the i guess being the optimist um what this tells us is there's a lot of easy wins here right and if we're saying look 31 percent are doing one-to-ones it's 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 not difficult for us to be able to implement one-to-ones and have better one-to-ones um and and so i think a lot of these here the takeaway for me is is they're easy wins and i, and I think it's really kind of prioritizing and focusing on the on the right things. So yeah, the optimist in me thinks at least there's room to improve and it's clear the direction we need to be going in. Love that optimism. And you're right, there's so much low hanging fruit, isn't there? You know, if there's if only one in five people has clarity, then that can have such a massive impact if you just start driving that that clarity around what you do, where you're going, where an individual supports the company and getting there. So yeah, totally agree. And some really interesting numbers. We're going to move on to a few frameworks that help you maybe visualize or see how what we spoke about so far looks in practice. While we're doing that, a reminder for the final time that we'll be taking some questions after this. So just drop them in the chat and the Q&A and we'll get to them afterwards. Now, really, we're looking at these two key steps to drive an employee performance. One off the back of the research we just discussed there is to set the foundation for success so having that understanding and aligning around the key goals and the next part is to create that culture and the foundations for continuous learning to happen so that people can upskill and grow now john to pick up from your research tell us just a little bit more about this in practice how we align and understand yeah totally so we we definitely see uh, three areas of focus when we discuss with uh, with our customers. So if you can just go to the next slide, please. Yeah, um, we, we all know that the most important asset of the company is your people, okay? So the thing is, if you want to drive business results, you need to have a super strong people strategy. So the three areas of focus is, the first one is seems to be basic, but you will be surprised and we'll share some uh, some story about that but understanding talent and acting on talent it's so important so you must know who your top performer and essential employees are and you have to develop them as we discussed with with nelson you have to reward them you know just in order to retain them and on the flip side you have to learn where uh, performance issue exists and what the root cause are so understanding and act on talent the second thing is driving alignment. So it means um, making sure that your employees, they really understand the key business priorities. And also it helps to increase transparency with, with them and to create accountability. The third thing that we hear from all of our customers is um, to build high performance culture. So once again, the employees, they need to know what grades look like. If we want to raise a bar, they need to know. So it's getting real-time feedback and, and creating um, moments uh, to have real conversation about performance and development. And it's also having one-to-ones uh, with them. So as Nelson mentioned just before, it's very easy wins. So if you if we we, we, we double-click on each of the, the, the different areas and Lattice provides some solution for that. Um, I was personally using Lattice before joining Lattice. In my previous company, I was using Lattice for performance review and also for survey and also for one-to-ones. It was a game changer for me. Understanding and hacked on talent. You'd be really surprised, but um, many of the companies I'm discussing with every day, they tell me, mm, you know, Don, 
Yes, we do performance review on a spreadsheet and we don't really have data. And guess what? When we, for example, we do one-to-ones, uh, it's on a Google doc and we're struggling to find all the information. So just having the data and being able to quickly act on this data, so important. Second thing uh, that what you can see here is in terms of alignment and clarity, every employee needs to know uh, what we expect from them and why their work is so important uh, to, to the company. Something that I love with uh, Lattice and while using uh, this feature, of course, ourselves is you can really see your impact and how your impact uh, will have a bigger impact for the company. So in terms of belonging and the purpose, you really understand uh, why you are doing that, why you are working so hard. It's because, yes, we you, you, you have a better understanding. And the last thing in terms of high performance culture, as I said, uh, we have different solutions allowing you to have uh, real-time feedback, being able to uh, get actionable feedback and to develop their performance. Perfect. Thanks, John. Uh, you should have seen hopefully a poll pop up as well. If you'd like to know more about Lattice, if you just click yes to that, then we can follow up afterwards and put you in touch with John and the right people. Perfect. So moving on to part two about upskilling and growing. So Nelson, you already talked about this a little bit, but maybe just remind people of the context here around why this is the real foundation to, to go on and, and help people perform. Yeah, sure. And if you want to go on to the next slide, Gary, I can, I can talk about it from there. So talk, we, we've kind of spoken about taking the more skills first approach and essentially how do we help people in the organization build the skills they need to, to perform better and grow. And um, the biggest barrier often to building skills is what we call the engagement gap, right? It's, it's people, you know, you spend all this time buying or building learning programs and content and you push it out there and, and basically hardly anyone engages. And, and this is a very, very common story. So if you're not in the long, you're not alone. Uh, we, we hear this quite a lot when we speak to L&D professionals. And when you dig into why are people not um, engaging, it's often because these three things that you see on the screen are not aligned, right? When you are able to connect people with the right learning to the right person at the right time, when you're able to get those three things aligned, that's when you get engagement. Right? It's because people have been connected with relevant content at the moment where they needed it. And um, so they're more likely to engage with it, apply it, and it creates a positive feedback loop because they've seen positive results as a result of using this learning. And often this is quite a challenge. Like we see uh, if you take, for example, virus pushing the right learning to the right person, but I ignore right time, that means I've missed the boat, right? Uh, at some point I needed this learning. And for example, there's no point telling me how to do a VLOOKUP six months before I've ever logged into Excel to use it, right? The timing is wrong. And so I've missed that opportunity. And, and say, for example, you've got the right learning and you've got the right time. So you're able to push it into the tools where people are working, but you have no way of segmenting and targeting the people who needed that learning the most. You essentially end up pushing one size fits all learning. And, and when you do that, most people are not going to engage and they start to build a negative um, opinion about the internal learning brand. So the key to be able to make relevant learning a part of everyday work is to make sure you can connect the right learning to the right person at the right time. Now, how do you go about doing that? Um, now, the first thing is 
learning inherently is quite scattered and fragmented, right? It doesn't all live in one place. You've got content that might live in third-party content libraries. Then you've got content that you might be creating yourself. And that could be everything from live sessions, webinars, courses, coaching sessions. And then there's the worldwide web of content, right? Blogs, podcasts. And, and often when you ask people, when was the last time they learned something that had a big impact on their performance or career, you recognize no one ever turns around and says, uh, a course, right? Not everyone turns around and says, a course. Learning is quite diverse and it lives in many different places. So the first thing to do is bring that learning ecosystem together into a single searchable place and make sure that ecosystem is organized based on the skills that you're trying to build. And that's the first thing that we help companies do is bring all of their scattered learning together into that single place. Now that you have that learning ecosystem in one place, the question is, how do I connect it with the right person? And this is where um, within How Now, we give you the tools to measure skills. Um, I saw one of the questions earlier in the chat around how do you generate a, a skills matrix? And this is where How Now uses AI to collect and analyze millions and millions of job adverts to find out what the most in-demand skills are for any particular job. And then with our built-in 360 measurement tool, you can now start to measure um, what level of proficiency you have those skills. With that data, you can use How Now to assign and suggest content based on the skills that people don't have. Rather than saying everyone in the sales team needs to learn this, instead what you can do is I need everyone in the sales team who's got less than a level three in negotiation skills to be going on this pathway or to be learning um, these topics. And so you can really start to tailor learning and align learning to the skills gaps that you have in your team. Um, and that's how you can connect the right learning to the right person. But the third pillar is how do you do it at the right time? Because people are most motivated to learn at the moment of need. The best example of this is Google search, right? When you're in that moment of need, you go to Google, you search for something, you're more likely to engage with it, you're more likely to apply it because you're in that moment of need. And often we miss that moment of need when it comes to learning at work. And with How Now, what we allow you to do is essentially embed learning within the apps and tools that people already use. Slack, Teams, Zendesk, Salesforce, HubSpot, it doesn't matter what tool you use, rather than dragging employees into a, a learning platform, what we do instead is send the learning into the apps and tools where people already work. Because we spend 90% of our time in these apps, which allows you to connect people with relevant learning in the flow of work. And so that's how you can align all three of those things, right learning to the right person at the right time, and essentially engage people in relevant learning that's going to help them build those skills. Perfect. Thank you, Nelson. Yeah, this is a big problem. I've been reading some numbers on this recently. And you know, more than basically a third of people waiting days or longer to get answers to questions they need. So imagine how much difference the ability to search would make. People are switching, I think it's between eight to 10 apps up to 25 times per day on average, according to Slack. So there's this real, I think if we were talking about earlier, low hanging fruit and how we can do the quick wins, these are obviously key things. If we just changed that culturally and gave people a way to search when they actually need it, it can make a massive difference. Cool. As you can see on the screen, we're going to move on to your questions now. So I've already got some in the chat and the Q&A that we'll kick off with, but please do leave yours in there as we go through this and we'll try and get to as many as possible. But the first one came right close to the start, Nelson and John. It was about 
thoughts on quiet quitting in this space? So obviously we spoke a lot around the context of why people might be disengaged or struggling and supporting well-being. But um, yeah, I've read some research again, that you can tell I love numbers, but 59% of people would class themselves. I think it was as in this quiet quitting category. And that was pretty recent. So um, still a, a real common and current problem, but yeah, love to get your thoughts on it. John, maybe kick us off and then we'll go to Nelson. Yeah. So um, if I understand well, your question is why people are quitting, why do they live? Yeah. Yeah. Just thoughts so, on general and on quiet quitting and, and, you know, is it still a big problem? How could people potentially tackle it in this context? It's, 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 it's a really big problem when we discuss with, um, with our customers because there is, there is a cost uh, of regrettable attrition. Uh, there is a cost in terms of, of course, performance, but also in terms of culture. Um, so the, some of the reasons is, you know, the, the purpose about the why, about the impact they're struggling, struggling with expectation or so, um, as we as we discuss, but there is also this uh, feeling of not feeling uh, of not being rewarded as it should. We are now in a world where we are all working super hard, and if you don't really understand your impact, if you don't really understand what are the expectations, and if at the end if you don't feel that you have the reward that you should deserve according to you, yes, this is where you start to get this feeling, and you start, you know, basically to uh, probably apply. Uh, for for their companies, so I think it's the some of the reasons why uh, we see that we see this trend. Yeah, Nelson, what were your thoughts on on what John shared there in this wider yeah. issue? Yeah, you know it's interesting. Some of the, the I often find labels and trends are packaged by more journalists and commentators than than individuals. We've probably had this behavior in the organization for for years and years, and I think what quite quitting to me says is they're doing it quietly because you haven't given them a way to to do it in a way they hurt, right? It probably means there isn't um, the right communication and feedback channels within the organization. Hence, it feels uh, quiet. But actually, what they're doing is they're quitting, right? Uh, they're, they're not engaging. And, and lack of engagement is a problem that organizations have tackled with for various reasons. And I think we've spoken about a lot of the reasons that might be driving low employee engagement in this um, session today. And so uh, I'd say for anyone kind of concerned around quite quitting, the first thing I'd look at is, do you have the channels within the organization, both anonymous and non-anonymous, uh, for people to be able to feed back and, and share what their kind of um, frustrations and what they want to see change in the organizational culture? Yeah, I love that. That's a good point. Um, now people have a term for it. That's why you hear it more often. It's just because there wasn't a way to capture it in such a snappy way to say, actually, yeah, that's me. I'm I'm a bit checked out. Perfect. I got another one here. It comes back to the skills gap, Nelson, but around whose responsibility is it to detect the skills gap? Is it manager or an employee? Is it both of them together? Is it actually a wider business issue to solve together? Yeah, and I think this is my comment for you on a wider learning and development. Often, you know, historically, people think about learning and development as a function, um, but it isn't. It's an organizational capability, right? An organization needs to have the capability to, to learn and develop. And L&D professionals are just custodians of that capability, right? They're, they're holding everyone accountable. and They're bringing in the best practices. Um, they're essentially the conductor of the orchestra, right? Um, and that's how they're um, supporting it. But it isn't L&D's job alone. 
Um, and that's why skills and the move towards skills first is very key because skills is a language that the entire business understands, right? C-suite understands whether we have skills or don't have skills. Employees understand um, these are the skills that you need to develop. However, up until now, the trap L&D have found themselves in, we use language that's very L&D specific, right? Course completion, time spent learning. And the reality is neither the employee or the business really cares how many courses have been done and how much time has been spent. However, they do care. Are they building the skills to grow in their career? And that's why I think moving towards a skills first approach is key to communicating in a language that the entire business um, can understand. Comes back to what you said earlier. It has to be what's in it for me. And if I'm talking to you about course completion, that doesn't speak to that motivation and learning and motivation can't be separate because otherwise, why am I going to do it? So it becomes this real muddle um, once you start just talking in, in, again, buzzwords or terms people don't understand. John, you mentioned earlier as well about performance reviews, and I guess you'd probably have some good insights on this defining the skills gap, especially with individuals within your team and, and then aligning that then towards why the goals for the company. Yeah, so what, what I love with uh, the system that we have at, at Lattice um, is when you do performance reviews, everything is connected with Lattice. So for example, we have the one-to-ones, we have also the goals, so we have everything. Um, and you can you can really make your performance with all the information. And I think it's Nelson mentioned, Nelson mentioned that, uh, having the, the feedback from, uh, from you know, 360, uh, it's also super important. So we can do that. And this is all from the performance uh, review. We are able to create a sort of plan with uh, with uh, the team and to develop them. Um, yeah. Perfect. Moving on to the next question. We actually had two questions on a similar topic and it was about finding the right time, Nelson, going back to the slides we just looked through. How do we know it's the right time to deliver learning? Um, obviously, it's hard to know exactly what happens in an individual's day every day throughout the day so where are the ways and how can we actually find those spots where the timing is right yeah and, and this is where um i divide these into what we call moments that matter right moment a moment that matters is basically where if i'm able to connect this person with relevant learning in that moment that matters you have an opportunity to shape their performance and change their behavior and you have two types of moments that matter the macro moments that matter. And, and macro moments are when I've been promoted for the first time. I've just become a manager. Um, and so those are the moments that are typically business driven. You know those moments are coming, but what you need to be able to do is, for example, rather than sending every manager on manager training, it might be that you've got a more tailored um, learning experience for people who are first time managers who've never done it in any other organization before. And so that's also considered delivering it at the right time because you know they've just been promoted. You know they've never been a manager before. And in that moment, that matter, you can really shape their performance. And there are moments that matter like that throughout the employee life cycle. They're the macro moments that matter. And then you have micro moments that matter. And this is where um, a micro moment that matter might be, I'm on a sales call, a potential customers just ask me a question I don't know how to tackle that objection and answer that question. Or another micro moment might be, I'm about to have my first one-to-one. -one. 
right? And I don't know how to have a good performance conversation in that one-to-one. Now, in those moments, you want to be able to enable self-directed learning, right? I'm able to recognize that moment as an individual, but have you got a place where I can go to find that relevant resource in that moment that matters? And often companies don't because that learning is scattered. And in that moment that matters, I'm not gonna search through 20 different places to try to find that nugget of knowledge that's gonna help me perform better in that moment that matters. And so that's where LND can play a role to reduce the friction for me to be able to find relevant knowledge and learning in those moments that matter. And again, that's how you can deliver that learning at the right time. I couldn't agree more on this reducing friction point. It's just the easiest way to get people to buy into what you do as well. It's like, where do you go right now to get information in that moment that matters? Uh, What stops you from getting it? And then if you can just be the person in the middle, separates that friction, then you're, you're onto a winner. Then we've got time for maybe one more question. And it's about how we create a culture of learning when we know employees are in that high pressure environment. So we'll often see, that pushback that I don't have time to learn. And that becomes a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy. So everything else on your workload takes priority over learning. So um, yeah, I guess open to both of you, but any thoughts on this, create the culture of learning and reducing the pressure and the obstacle of time. I can, I can start. Um, so yes, it, you're totally right. It's always, I don't have time and you know, I'm working with sales. So no, we are super busy, many calls. And, and I understand that because yeah, indeed super busy. But also it's uh, learning is an investment for the future and for the development. So this is why we, we have some, some sessions with them. What, what I know in terms of learning, what, what I offer with them in terms of coaching um, is I try to involve them in the coaching. So for example, on a weekly basis, we have a coaching session where basically they work on on the, the coaching. At the moment, we're working a lot on the discovery or to improve the discovery. And the thing is, it's not coming from me because it's it's just missing, hey, this is how we should do. You know, it's not the same. So this is the group thinking about, of course, I influence them, but this is, it's coming from the group. And we have really good results by doing that in terms of uh, adoption of, uh, of the learning. So it's one of the first things that we are uh, doing with the team, but it, it helps a lot. Awesome. And Nelson, from your perspective? Yeah, Yeah, I find when these surveys say um, people don't learn because they don't have enough time to learn, what they mean is they don't have time to learn things that don't matter to them, is what they're saying. Is they're saying, right now my business is giving me irrelevant learning resources and training and I don't have time for that. Um, However, they're not saying they don't have time to learn because they're doing it. Well, we all are, right? All of us on this um, session, um, we're, we're learning. Aren't we going on, you know, you're on this webinar because we want to learn. You know, we go to LinkedIn. We see um, thought leadership that's being shared by people on LinkedIn. We click through, we read that blog. And when we need to know something, we go to Google. And that's every single person in an organization. And they're already weaving in moments to learn within their day-to-day work. What they're saying is, that's not what they associate when it comes to workplace learning, right? Workplace learning for them is that clickable e-learning school course or, you know, let's go away for a two-day uh, conference. And they haven't got time for that, rightly so, because they've got a lot to do. You know, we just started this session today. We're trying to do more with less. And when I'm trying to do that, I've not got time for things that I don't think are going to matter. But I have got time for the things that I genuinely believe are going to help me be more productive, more efficient, and find a better balance um, between work and life. I have got time for that. 
Um, and so I think that's really the takeaway for us is, is what are they saying they haven't got time for and what have they got time for? One of the best things I've heard you say on this, Nelson, is that no one does time blocking to Google search stuff they want to know. So, I mean, I'm, I'm sure someone out there in the world maybe does do that, but for the vast majority of us, <laughs> we'll go to Google when the problem pops up. So, um, yeah, I really think that speaks to that idea that time blocking isn't the solution because time blocking, again, forces us into this mindset that we're going to take time out of the workflow and then do a click through kind of course. But like you say, people want to replicate the way the ways they learn organically so i think that's probably the perfect note to end on actually so really in sync with what we spoke about um just want to say thank you to everyone for joining us today some really great engagement in the chat and in the q a there will be an email that follows up with a recording to this in case you wanted to watch any parts of it back and also then links of where you can find out more about lattice and how now and also connect with john and nelson so other than that john nelson thank you as well for joining us and um hopefully everyone enjoyed the session